Now let's take advantage of the great privilege that we have to go to our Lord and ask for help before we read and hear his word preached this evening. Our Father in heaven, Lord God Almighty, we come and, and ask that you might help us. We come and ask that the Spirit would come and teach us. That he would work in the hearts and the minds of all those who are listening, all those who are here. Lord, we ask that you might cause your, your servant's words to be guarded, your servant to lessen for Christ to be lifted up, for his name to be praised. That we might, through our time together this evening, this taste of heaven, worshiping you, fellowshipping with, yes, one another, but and most importantly, our fellowship and communion with you. Lord, we ask that from this, that we might know your love better and understand it, and that you would grow our faith and our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if we turn your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 23, we're going to be finishing the chapter. This evening, as we're continuing to move through the gospel according to Luke, we'll be at Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 50, headed to the end of the chapter to verse 56. As you're turning and getting to that location, I'll remind you, Luke's going to confirm the certainty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, in our most recent time together, seen the death of Christ upon the cross, and now we come to his burial. This is God's perfect word. Follow along as I read. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Satan, though defeated, Satan, though bound, desires to fool, if it were, to to blind and block the view, to confuse, to, to distract the world from the truth, the truth of what we see in our passage here, that Christ truly died. He does it in different ways, and he and the other fallen angels, the demonic forces, they, they seek to, to bring lies and pseudo-truths to, to distract and, and to, to cause folks to, 
to dig into their rebellion and to, to hold on to some potential truth in their mind that yes, this could be. Yes, I'm not responsible to my creator. Some way to attempt to try to thicken the scab on their heart as they're holding down the truth and unrighteousness. And Satan does this in, in many ways. He distracts people by giving them many, many things to do that have nothing to do with the kingdom, to keep them far away from reading the scriptures, hearing the gospel. He does it through false philosophies. does it through false teaching, false religion. It's across the board. It's everywhere. It's what he seeks to do. And there's one particular example of this that for, for quite a while now, over a millennia that he's been using, and that is a, a world religion that it has grown into, faith of Islam has, has taken the truth of the scriptures and, and has, has built upon many of them, yet twisted them just enough to eradicate the realities and the truth and the gospel and what is around us. If you've ever read the Quran, which, you know, if you're a believer, I encourage you to. There's nothing to be afraid of reading that book. I've read it. Very enlightening and helps you understand the thought process of a large portion of the world. But if you read it, you'll, you'll pick up on that. The kind of grabbing of truths of Scripture and taking them and, and, and twisting off in one direction kind of the best way for Satan to to blind others is to take a little bit of truth. Because if you have a seed of truth and then to spin it. Of course the Quran, it's clear that they're anti-Trinitarian very forcefully. They don't believe that Christ is divine. They don't believe in one God, three persons. Also salvation, the gospel. They, They don't believe in Salvation through grace, free gift, but instead it's works, righteousness, you earn your place in heaven. Heaven's totally different than the picture we see in the scriptures. It's not a place that's centered around the the praising, worshiping, and fellowship and communing with our creator, but instead it's an eternal existence of your own personal pleasure. God is seen different. He has no desire for relationship with his beings, his created beings, the people that he has made. There is no heavenly father, just a distant God. And yet there's some interesting things. It says Jesus in the Quran that they claim Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah that had been waited for. He was born of the Virgin Mary. You can read in the surahs where it says he even worked miracles. He was a great prophet. But there's one thing, one thing in particular. Once we get past, he is not the God-man. The next thing is, he did not die on the cross. That is, that is an abomination in Islam. You, you go to Surah 4 and you read verses 157, 158, and you can read that actually what happened is God fooled those enemies of Jesus, the great prophet. He fooled them by making someone else look like Jesus so that they crucified the wrong person and some other person died, a replacement, a a decoy. 
And Jesus was protected and then never died and was ascended to heaven. Like, okay, what's the point of all of that? All of that is built around denying the great truth that Christ died for the sins of his people. For if Christ never died, then we stand here and all people stand with no hope. An entire system seeking to deny that truth. You look at our, our passage, these, these six verses that one might read and move right by. Yes, of course, we already read of, we saw the, the death of Christ on the cross. Let us move right on to the resurrection. That's where we want to go. We don't want to deny that. We're excited. I'm already looking forward to our time. That we're going to be looking at the resurrection together. But we don't, we don't want to gloss over and miss these very important verses that we are given, where we see, Christian, that Jesus died and was buried for your salvation. And it is a fact. It is truth. It is reality. And that's what's given to us in God's Word. So we're just going to look at four things this evening. Somewhat rehashing of truth. Encouraging us. Building this up that we might hold on to it. So four questions. Who... Who buried Jesus Christ? Who was Jesus Christ? How was Jesus Christ buried? When was Jesus Christ buried? Why was Jesus Christ buried? So tonight's going to be about the reality and the truth of the burial of Christ. So this first question, who buried Jesus Christ? Well, as we look at our passage, we just read it together. We see that Jesus is buried by Joseph of Arimathea, a righteous man, even a member of the very council that has condemned Christ and sent him to the Romans, begging and pleading that they might deal with this problem, this rabble-rouser. This is the first time Joseph has ever been mentioned. And yet he steps forward in the moment where most of the disciples have scattered in fear and they're gone. And then Joseph comes forward from the description that we see of him being called a good and and righteous man, one who's looking for the kingdom of God. He recognized the Spirit had opened his eyes to understand who it is, who Jesus Christ is. It says he did not agree with the decisions of the council. He did not agree with the actions that they took. And he, in one sense, stepped out in complete defiance of what they'd done. Going to Pilate and asking. Asking for the body of Jesus Christ to be taken that he might bury him. And he's joined with with the women who followed from Galilee. It have been there. We saw them last week when we were together there at the crucifixion, witnessing that. Now they are witnessing the burial of the body of our Savior. They've been there supporting him, following him, as we've looked at in earlier chapters, supporting the, the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now here. They've witnessed his death. They're witnessing his burial. And Jesus' burial by, by Joseph and, and these women, but particularly Joseph, it teaches, it teaches us a few important lessons we don't want to miss. 
Right off the bat, it teaches us to be encouraged. How in the world can we be encouraged reading of the burial of our Savior? Well, it's a reminder that there's always a remnant, that you're never alone, that you can truly never say, we're it. Oh God, where are your people? It's just me. It's just, it's just this one congregation. It's just our denomination. That's a reminder, when all those who love the Lord fled, God still had one who came forward, claiming the body of Christ to bury him. It's kind of like Elijah. You remember in 1 Kings? Maybe it's a reminder for us never to be like Elijah, who we read in chapter 19 in verse 9, there he came, this is Elijah, to a cave and, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel who have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God, I'm here because I'm the last one. There's nobody else. Gone. It's just me. And you jump down to, to verse 18, and, and Elijah's told, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Those whom Elijah did not know, had not seen, and yet they were the Lord's, and God had them. So Joseph comes, we're not expecting him. We did not know he was there, and yet he comes, he steps in to bury Christ's body, to testify the fact that he is dead. And also, we, we see this, another encouragement here. Where did Joseph come from? Who was Jesus, Joseph part of? What was the group he was a member of? The Sanhedrin. Remember the very ones that had been attacking Christ, going after Christ? The very ones that, had, that many, many of them, at least their leadership, had, had gotten wrong and twisted the gospel. He was amongst that group. And yet his eyes had been opened. He's seeking the kingdom of God. Yet he realizes who Christ is. He's, he's a good and righteous man. Remind when we're interacting with neighbors and coworkers and friends. There are false systems, false theologies, false teaching, false world religions that are all around us. There's cults, there's all these things. And yet, when we're engaging with someone, perhaps, perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord might have a couple folks stumbling around in those areas that we might bring the gospel to, be used as the Spirit works. We not write them off and think, well, there's no way. Someone who grew up in that situation, there's no way. Perhaps by God's grace, they could have their eyes opened. Like, like Joseph of Arimathea, standing amongst the Sanhedrin. It's a reminder to trust God and, and to be faithful. To obey him. God's working out the details. All the disciples had fled. God provided Joseph for this. That he might bury the Lord Jesus Christ. That he and, and the women who've been following since Galilee could once again be a witness to this. 
So who buried Jesus Christ? We looked at that. Who? Now we look at how. How was Jesus Christ buried? Well, Jesus' body is requested from Pilate by Joseph Arimathea. Pretty simple. He goes to him and he asks. It's given to him. He comes forward. They take him and they take him to his tomb. He goes there and we read of of what has happened, how it's done. He's wrapped. His body is cared for. In the midst of all this, as he's there, as the women have come and they're seeking to see again, they're witnessing these things. We, we have the Roman centurion who's witnessed, who's testified, this man is dead. Now we have Joseph of Arimathea, a very credible witness, someone who would have respect. The Sanhedrin would have to listen to as one of their own, unless they wanted to just deny it. He's dead. I saw it. I had his body. I buried him. And then we even have the women that were there to testify once again. Yes, he, Jesus, is dead. Jesus' burial, because he's being buried because he's dead, is fulfilling Old Testament Messianic prophecy. We've seen that moving all the way through. Christ has been doing all these things. He's been fulfilling prophecy all along the way. God has given us his word in such a way that he made sure that it was clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that once the Messiah came, we would know. You could look and see. And yes, we need the spirit to open our eyes to that truth, but it's there. It's clear. And again, we see the same thing. It's why it's why is. Dr. Wilborn mentioned we've read Isaiah 53 for probably the thousandth time as our Old Testament reading. There's so much in that one, and we've hit it recently. But particularly, it was hitting on Isaiah 53 in verse 9. And I know you heard it, you noticed it, because by now you've memorized it just hearing it. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he'd done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Several, several hundred years before this happened, this prophecy is given. We even have scrolls of Isaiah predating the incarnation. So we know the Spirit testifies to that truth. Jesus' death with criminals, burial in the rich man's tomb, as God has brought forth Joseph of Arimathea. And fulfillment of prophecy. This prophecy that's testified to Christ all along the way. The incarnation. His life. His miracles. His death on the cross. His burial. And praise God what we're going to see very soon. We're going to look at his resurrection. But we can't skip over the great important fact that he is buried dead because he died for the sins of his people because he paid that debt. There is no doubt that the debt has been paid that our Savior paid it with his life. Satan cannot 
though defeated, attempt to hide that truth, spin that truth, obscure that truth. So who, how, and then we come to the question, when, when was Jesus Christ buried? Well, Jesus was buried on Friday, and that's right here. We read it. But again, this is in God's perfect providence, exactly the time when he was to be buried. It wasn't just haphazard. It wasn't just this happened. Again, as I mentioned many times, Christ was not working his way through this like a, a quarterback with two minutes left needing to score. And he's calling audibles from the line as he sees the way the defense sets up. No, this was in the fullness of time. This was exactly as God has planned. As Jesus had gone on this mission to save and redeem his people. The Holy Spirit makes it clear through through Luke, even the timeline of Jesus' death, burial, and we're going to see his coming resurrection. It's interesting. I think we should miss this or not notice it. There's a rush. There's a rush to get to get Jesus, who's dead, off the cross, to get him into the tomb, because it's the day of preparation. Preparing for the Sabbath that's coming. The Sabbath. They're going to rest and they're going to keep. But they're not going to be taken care of. Even Jesus, that they love dearly. They're going to keep the Sabbath. They're going to get him into the tomb, laid out. He's, he's wrapped in the cloth. They've done some initial preparing of the body, and they leave him in the tomb, dead. Thinking, we'll come back after the Sabbath. When the Sabbath is complete, we will return Again, Jesus' burial wasn't random, perfectly timed. Joseph and the women don't return on the Sabbath the next day, but they wait, and we'll get to that next time we're together. What they find when they come. Again, we, we see the, the fact that there's such a concern for obeying the Lord and his law and his Sabbath keeping Excitement and thankfulness for that, even in the midst of all this grief, as they seek to rest. I could imagine they were seeking to rest in the goodness and the grace of God after all that they had been through and seen. And this provides the time frame that Christ needs and is doing as he's about to sh- shift the Sabbaths. As he shifts from the from resting, from creation to resting, from the work of redemption, as we'll see in the New Testament, in this new covenant, Sabbath on the Lord's Day on Sunday. So who, how, when? And the final question we're looking at is why? Why was Jesus buried? You might think, I mean, again, why is it such a big deal? He's dead, right? I mean, we, we, we saw that. He was on the cross. He died. Well, again, Jesus was buried because if he didn't die for his people's sins, there's no hope for salvation. God is doing this to make it clear beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is no way to bring whispers of, of 
Jesus was simply in a coma. Jesus was swooning from the effects of the cross. No, Jesus was dead, witnessed to, certified by the Roman centurion. It doesn't seem that it would make much sense that Joseph of Arimathea would go to all this trouble, bring Jesus off the cross, and not be able to know and see that he was dead. The women that were there preparing him, saying that without without a shadow of a doubt, Christ is dead. God calls the, the who, the how, and the when of Jesus' burial so there'd be zero doubt he had truly died. And as the Spirit gives you faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, you can trust in this reality, this truth, without any doubts. And praise the Lord that he does these things for us. And as the Spirit testifies, gives us new hearts, and then shows it to us and, and provides it clearly in his word. Jesus' death uh, explained and applied by, by one pastor this way, one Mr. Ryle from the 19th century. I quote from him often as we've been moving through Luke. I've enjoyed greatly reading him along with other commentaries. But, but he says this, The importance of the fact before us is far greater than a careless reader supposes. If Christ did not really die, there would be an end of all the comfort of the gospel. Nothing short of his death could have paid man's debt to God. His incarnation and sermons and parables and miracles and sinless obedience to the law would have availed nothing if he had not died. You'd be left with the pseudo-false Christ of Islam who did not die for the sins of his people. The penalty threatened to the first Adam was death eternal in hell. If the second Adam had not really and actually died in our stead, as well as taught us truth, the original penalty would have continued in full force against Adam and all his children. It was the lifeblood of Christ which was to save our souls. Forever let us bless God that our great Redeemer's death is a fact beyond all dispute. There is no doubt. It is clear. Praise God for it. Christian, Jesus died and was buried for your salvation. Now may we not only believe this, rest our hope in it, but... But praise God for it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful for your word that you give to us. We're thankful for the spirit who opens our eyes to your truth. We might understand it. Lord, we're thankful that there is no silly philosophies of man or imaginative creative ways to attempt to to twist the truth of your word that would deny the fact that our Savior died to redeem his people. That he, the perfect lamb of God, died to pay the penalty for our sins, one that we could never pay. That you loved us before we loved you. That we were bought at an incomprehensible price. 
by our Savior with an infinite love for his people. Oh God, may this draw us to worship you. May you encourage us with this truth, give us hope in Christ, and Lord, may we overflow with joy as we tell others about it. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen.